Hello everyone, Happy New Year. This is Alex here from the Kansas City Star. I'm joined alongside Blair Kirkhoff. Today we're going to wrap up Mizzou's football season, talk a little basketball, maybe even talk a little women basketball as they uh, got a big addition or I guess big return earlier this week. Blair, how you doing? Happy New Year, my friend. Yeah, you too. I hope the trip to uh, to Memphis went well for you. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty barbecued out. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I, I think one city clearly has the edge over the other uh, with the Memphis-Kansas City debate. Uh, you know, I thought Memphis was good but overhyped a little bit. And, uh, and I mean, they, they were feeding it to you everywhere you went. And I'm just kind of at the point now where – I uh, I never thought I'd say this, but I need a break. If I, if I go to Kansas City, I might not stop at two thirty nine. I really need a break. Um, <laughs> I hear you. So thirty eight thirty three loss for Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. I obviously Vahe joined us very the, like right at kickoff. He had perfect timing despite a, a travel day from hell. Um, that, you know, I, I my biggest takeaways on the whole game were I, I just I don't I don't think you can watch the game and 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 not feel for Drew Locke a little bit given that's the way he went out. You know, his he took over from Matty Mark under bizarre circumstances. His name was never in the news for the wrong reasons. He personally addressed the fans in his final uh, press conference. You know, I, I the, my biggest takeaways were the. In terms of the actual game, I just thought some of the coaching decisions were bizarre. You know, Missouri was at the uh, OSU 40-yard line with about a minute left in the first half, and it seems like when they were on that drive, they just couldn't make up their minds as to whether or not they were going to milk the clock or try to score. You know, Vahe and I were kind of saying when you get to the, you know, when you get into opponent territory on a drive like that, you should probably take a couple shots in the end zone. Um I thought the the decision to not go for two early in the fourth quarter was bizarre. And that last drive where Drew came up short on the fourth down, I didn't have a problem with that play call, but I thought the two uh, plays before where they ran it instead of trying to take a shot in the end zone, again, I thought Mizzou was kind of more worried about the clock than trying to score at some time. So I'm, I'm curious what you took away from that game. Yeah, there um you know a lot going on there. Let's let's go back. Uh I, I agree the the end of the first half was a little bit bizarre um and and um I, you know I just thought that was an opportunity for Missouri to pad its lead, right? They were up uh, they were up uh, by two I believe at the time and uh had a chance to they went in 16-14 at halftime and thought there was a chance there to stretch it out a little bit. Um, this, you know what, the third quarter meltdown is something we've seen earlier this year, right? That was the, that was the definition of the South Carolina game when, um, that when everything, uh, could go wrong, did go wrong for Missouri and they just couldn't stop Oklahoma state. But then, you know, they get their, you know, they get it back. They, um, the, the long touchdown pass, uh, by, by, uh, lock to the player, as I recall, you picked the click. Um, in, in, in our conversation last week, good call on your part. Um, you know, got, um, you know, got things back and, and then Missouri, as you said, the, the final drive, that'll be what's, what's remembered for, for quite a while. And so I'm watching the game and I'm thinking at that point, I remembered the, I think it was the 2005 Independence Bowl when it was uh, Brad Smith's last game for Missouri and they're playing South Carolina and, Tigers were down. I want to say three touchdowns in that game, but they posted a 
curious comeback in the second half, and Brad Smith pulled it out at the end. And, you know, he was already going to be remembered fondly by Missouri fans, but winning that game in the way that they did, beating Steve Spurrier in South Carolina, um, really elevated, I think, his uh, his status in, in the in the minds and memories of Missouri fans. And I thought, well, that this is how it's going to end for Drew Locke, too. And and it didn't. And I'm going to disagree with you. I, I didn't, on, on the final possession, I didn't mind the first couple plays as much as I did the, the, the final one. And, um, you know, I do want the ball in the hands of, of, of the best player. I just don't want him. I don't want it in the, in on, on the legs of one of your slowest players. Um, if the play had worked, we'd have been praising, you know, Derek Dooley and Barry Odom for the, for the gutsy play call. But, you know, he's, you know, with Drew Locke running east to west with really no great opportunity to go north to south, um, it just looked, you know, it just looked like a, a, a fail, a massive failure on the, on the play call. And I got I don't know who, I, I can't remember the player's name who made the tackle for Oklahoma State, but he did a good job of kind of reading it and sniffing it out. And, and Drew Locke really never had a chance on the play. And so, and so it ends 38-33. And, uh, and I think there's, you know, there's, a lot to dissect about, you know, where this, you know, where the, where, where left things for Missouri and what what feeling you take into the into the off season. I agree. To each their own on on the final the final drive. You know, we we had issues with the drive itself. The you know doesn't matter what the plays were, but I, I agree. You know, Drew Locke was never a dual threat quarterback by any means, and if, if you're going to go for on a fourth down running play. Yeah, you know, Larry Roundtree had an unbelievable night. They had they had plenty of depth at tailback. I I agree with that. Uh, you know, I thought Bahe's column kind of hit the nail on the head with Barry, where you know he has this unbelievable bump of December the first thirty days. You lands Kelly Bryant, get the contract extension. He signs a class that has a lot more in-state talent than last year's. Uh, they get ranked in the college football playoff, even if it's towards the bottom. You know, it's kind of set up to a T for them to win this game and kind of go into the year with all this momentum. And, and Vahe's, you know, analogy was that, you know, Barry does all these good things, but he always gives you a moment for pause that stops you from putting all your chips in the middle of the table for him. And I, I think, you know, we, we've talked before about, you know, maybe with Drew Locke and Brad Smith, the comparison, if Missouri has a 10-win season next year, you know, Drew – Drew's legacy gets a little bit better with age. I, uh, you know, I, I, no coach is perfect. I mean, even Bill Belichick, even though he wins, you know, stuff comes back to bite him with the deflate gate and, and all that stuff. Nobody's perfect. But I, I do think that, you know, Barry's, the, the two biggest things that kind of hurt Barry in that game were definitely the in-game decisions because multiple times throughout this year, and you mentioned the South Carolina game, it seems like Missouri didn't, you know, Barry and Derek Dooley or Barry and his staff were not on the same page without the play calls and the decision-making. And that has to get better. And even, you know, the defense, I mean, DeMarcus Acey, I, I felt a little bad for him, too. He had an awful game, but he did have overall a good season. He picked a very bad time to have his worst game. Yeah. But, but there was some good things that the defense did, and they did give the offense a chance to kind of – Get back in it and and win the game. They didn't let uh, they didn't let OSU run away with it for good. But uh, but I, I agree that you know I, I think and look I mean I, I thought after the game Missouri's players were more upset about the season being over than they were about the actual game. Um, hmm. You know and, and I think 
talking to Vahe a little bit about that. You know, Barry already had his contract extension. He wasn't getting fired. No jobs were on the line for this game. It wasn't a championship game like the SEC title game or, or the CFP. And, and it seems like they were there yet at peace with the whole thing. But I, I do think that – I don't think Barry Odom's seat is necessarily warm next year, but I do think that there's an expectation that – he flirts with 10 wins and, and is in a better bowl game with Kelly Bryant next year. So, and I think there's just a little more skepticism as to whether or not he can get that done now. Well, that's a good point, And I, I don't disagree with it. Um, let me, let me, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, I was pretty impressed with Taylor Cornelius, the Oklahoma state quarterback. And uh, I thought he played an exceptional game for somebody who was a, was a first time First year starting, not first time, but first year starting quarterback. I thought he did a really nice job and used his weapons well. And um, uh, but but we went into this game uh, looking at eight and four Missouri against six and six Oklahoma State, and there was a reason why the Tigers were favored in this game. Uh, they, I think, by all accounts, we we even even those in you know who follow the Oklahoma State program believe Missouri is the better better team with a better season and um you know and and uh was just uh in in there was a good reason why they were favored and and they didn't in the end they didn't get it done so now if you know it, it, we keep in mind too that this is barry odom's what um third season he just completed his third season as a head coach and uh going to um you know a bowl game for just the, the second time this is the time to, you know, to look, you learn from games like this, you know, there, there, there really isn't anything on the line except for a bowl trophy and sending your seniors like Drew Locke out with a, with a good feeling there, you know, they're, they're probably, you know, lost their national ranking because of it, but, but really the stakes aren't that high. If Missouri continues to improve under Barry Odom and they find themselves in higher stakes games and higher stakes bowl games, um, you know, they'll, they'll remember the experiences that they had here and the calls that were made in this game and, uh, and maybe, maybe learn from it, go to school on it. Because when, when it was time to press the buttons, uh, Missouri didn't press all the right ones and end up taking a loss that, that, that shouldn't have, that should not have happened. And, you know, I, I know that, um, uh, that Big 12 people were taking great, uh, joy in the fact that it, it continued to, you know, a little stretch of Big 12 success against the SEC uh, with Baylor's win over, over Vanderbilt um, and, and uh, the Texas win over Georgia. You know, the SEC won the biggest one, of course, Alabama over Oklahoma. But what, what, what was surprising to me was the, the how Big 12 offenses were able to succeed against SEC defenses, especially some of the better ones in the league, especially Vandy and Georgia. So, um, you know... We always look for narratives in the bowl season, uh, which are just a series of exhibition games that 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 don't have great meaning. Um, maybe that's what we have to say when the team that you follow loses one. But I I, I still think that you you get to you know learn from the mistakes in in, in games that are lower stakes and be be sure to uh, remember them and apply them when the stakes are a little bit higher. Yeah, and, and let's talk about Mizzou's defense real quick. You know, I filed my my grade card for the year for Missouri this morning, uh, and I gave Mizzou's defense a B-minus. You know, I, I think 
part of the problem is that expectation when Barry Odom was hired, coming off a year when as a defensive coordinator he was he had a top five defense and obviously he didn't really recruit any of those players on that team, but it's just it's never been within striking distance since. And I I understand the the disappointment that that you know Odom kind of hung his hat on being a defensive guy, but if you look at them in the national rankings, I, I think that stats actually you know numbers never lie obviously, but I think the stats make Missouri's defense look a lot better than people might give them credit for. You know they were 22nd in run defense, they're number two nationally in fourth down conversion for their opponent. Uh, they were in the top 15 to 20 for third down conversions. And, you know, they if you look at where they were last year in a lot of those categories, I mean, everything, they went up in every category by at least 20 spots except for passing defense where they went from 107 to 111. So they, they kind of stayed the same around there. But across the board, I mean, and they didn't really have much of a pass rush, but they did take care of – they did take care of – business when they needed to, and I, I kind of think that they're, you know, the defense is actually kind of getting a little undersold here based on where they were last year and kind of what, what they did what they did nationally. I mean, they were great against the run. You look at what they did against Benny Snell in that Kentucky game. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the most glaring thing that I saw was special teams. They hire Andy Hill as the full-time coordinator. This, I, I knew they were low. I didn't know they were this low. In punt returns, out of all FCS teams, FBS, excuse me, there was 130 teams. Where do you think they were ranked? In in punt return. Um, punt return. I, I don't I, I don't remember there being much of a, a, a punt return, uh, you know, uh, explosiveness on this Missouri team. So I'll I'll say, if you're including the, you know, if if you're doing the whole FBS, which like you said is 130 and not just the Power Fives, I don't know, somewhere near the bottom, I would. Say. 129. Ouch. Yes. And they were in the low, uh, high 80s, low 90s for kick return. Uh, You know, to me, I think that special teams cost them at least two games. I mean, they they weren't beating Alabama, but they had the blocked punt against Georgia that was returned for a touchdown. They had the punt return that was returned for a touchdown against Kentucky that kind of led to Kentucky's comeback. And then they were just inconsistent all year on field goals and extra points. And, you know, I think Corey Fatoni, he had a great freshman season, but I think Missouri just never really had that good of a punter before him. And he, he his stock was always a little higher than it should have been. You know, he had a good year, but I don't think that he was Michael Dixon like he, uh, Dixon was in the Texas Bowl last year or in the NFL now. So I uh, I feel like special teams is the most glaring thing this team needs to address going into the offseason because this is a program that had Jeremy Macklin as a dynamic returner. Marcus Murphy was an All-American. They've had guys before that can and, – and you look at guys like Andrew Gakar who he, he wasn't returning the punts, but, you know, his ability to, to – his nose for the ball got him into the NFL for a few years. This is a program that's had pretty good success on, on – in that department, and and they were they just got nothing out of that unit, and I think that's the most glaring thing for them going into the off season. Okay, two quick thoughts. Um, I thought the defense was good when it really needed to be, which was at the end of the season, right down at Florida, um, uh, at you know at Tennessee, the Arkansas shutout. Um, they they did have to 
kind of outscore Vandy. But when it, when it needed to be good at the time of the year, when it needed to be good, it was at its best. So I, I give the I give it credit for that. And you couldn't you could not be more spot on about special teams. I think if you're playing in the SEC, which we you know which we acknowledge, we'll all acknowledge is the is the best conference, the toughest conference. You know, just week in week out when when teams like Kentucky can rise to the level and beat Penn State in a bowl game and um, and Bandy brings a snarl every week and Tennessee's finishing at the bottom and you know what kind of program they have. When when you're playing a solid program every week and you are good in special teams, you have a you have a big advantage. I you know, you know I cover a lot of NFL now and I, I my eyes have been open to the not that I didn't realize how important special teams were, but in the NFL all teams are basically created the same. The difference is a little bit of coaching off in the quarterback, but you know, in the, everybody, but in the NFL, everybody has 53 players, 46 that are active on Sunday. So you've got to find, you know, you can't leave any stone unturned and you've got to find edges where you can. And in the NFL, special teams can be an edge. If you're coordinated there, if you've got speed at return, if you're disciplined and you don't, and you don't, you know, you know, have a lot of penalties on, you know, a lot of blocking the backs on return, things like that. That can be a huge difference in the NFL, just as it should be in the SEC. Now, look, there's no denying that Alabama kind of separates itself from everybody. They just have more talent, more depth at, at every position. But once you get past Alabama, I didn't see a whole lot of difference this year between uh, teams in the SEC, and that includes Georgia, especially the way the game ended or the season ended for the Bulldogs. So I, I tell you what, I, I think that that is absolutely spot on. That that needs to be an emphasis for for the Tigers and special teams. Back when Oklahoma was was getting really good under Bob Stoops back in the early 2000s, one of the things that they did was they put starting defenders on the special teams. So you had your starting linebacker out there, um, you know, blocking or on on kick coverage, and and you had your your, your safeties returning you know returning kicks and punts and you had your very best athletes out there on special teams, and Oklahoma got to the top of the college football by being some of the having some of the best special teams in the country. We know that Virginia Tech and Kansas State and teams like that historically are good on special teams. With talent that's not as good as maybe others in their pro, in, in their conference, were able to rise to a you know to, to a level that they, you might not expect because of special teams. So I know you you you, bought, you asked for, you got you got more than you bargained for on, on on the special team soliloquy, but I'm I am a big believer in taking care not only taking care but emphasizing that phase of the game for you know for college and NFL teams. I, I agree with you completely. It's funny when you were talking about talking about the NFL, I thought you were just going to talk about the Chiefs because I mean you know what they can do on special teams with with Tyree Kill, I you know I, it's a game changer for sure. Um, and, you know, with Andy Hill in charge, I mean, you know, people have been calling for his job, you know, you, you've been around him longer than I have. I mean, Andy Hill, it's, it's a shame that this is the way the, uh, you know, he's 58, I want to say, kind of getting close to the, uh, the end of the road. And you can't help but feel bad for him, I feel like, because I, I think in the bigger picture, he's getting a bit of a raw deal. You know, I I think so many things about him are, are kind of undervalued. You know, he was on... Larry Smith, Gary Pinkle, and now Barry Odom's staff at Missouri. I mean, there's not a lot of coaches, if any, that can say they've survived at a school with two coaching changes like that. Um, 
and, and even though Odom was kind of an internal hire, I mean, you know, only two coaches survived, him and Cornell Ford. I mean, I, I think that in modern times when, you know, you look at Manny Diaz come back to Miami and clean house on the offensive staff, I, I do think that his longevity at Missouri is, is kind of unappreciated in the current college football climate. And, I mean, he was a position coach for Jeremy Macklin. He's the lead, he's the lead recruiter for Kansas City. He's got, he helped them get Drew Locke, Charles Harris. You know, we'll, we'll be here a little bit on some of those guys. And, and you know, my, my whole thing is what do you do with him? I don't think, you know, he's kind of an institution. You can't really fire him. He's got a year left on his deal. And Barry Odom has some, some vacancies to fill on his staff. You know, Ted Monachino, who I know Missouri really wanted to try to keep, he was the Ravens linebackers coach the year they won the Super Bowl. He just got hired by K-State. Uh, the, the whole – every single player and coach spoke glowingly of him and his football prowess. Um, he left. They have a defensive analyst spot open. Neil Renner left. Obviously, Joe John Finley left. So, there's not – you know, there's a vacancy on the offense. Do you move A.J. O'Farley to tight ends and hire a wideouts coach? Do you do a lot of shuffling and – maybe move Andy Hill back to wideouts and put someone else in special teams. It's, they have a lot of options, but I, I don't know I don't know what the solution is because I don't I don't think it's a great look if you get rid of Andy Hill. And I also but I also think that the the unit was too bad to not do some kind of shake up there. Well I, I would um you know Andy Hill is uh he's just Kansas City's coach basically. You know, he's he's the Missouri almost the Missouri liaison in, in Kansas City, I, you'd hate to see that. I go all the way back when I remember him when he was the head coach at Hutch Junior College back in the um, back in the mid '90s. And, um, and, and look, he he has a he has a fantastic track record when it comes to you know wide receivers. Um, he was I, I want to say this he was the co-offensive coordinator um, one year, a uh, couple years yeah. maybe back early in his career. Um, in addition, now of course, in the last few years, he's had he said the title of associate head coach. So um, I, I don't know. I, I'd hate to. You're, you're certainly more in, you know, entrenched there, uh, but I would hate to. I'd, I'd hate to see Andy Hill be shuffled out of that. Uh, you know, off that staff, and um, he just meant so much to that program. And uh, you're it, it's it's you're right. It's so unusual to have a coach survive as many coaching uh, head coaching. Uh, the head coaching turnover that he has, you know, he's been there for for a lot of guys. I, I agree. Um, Before we move on to basketball, any other closing thoughts on the uh, on the football season? You know, I think we both agree that it was still a year of progress for Barry Odom. Uh, I picked Missouri eight and four in the regular season. Uh, you picked them nine and three. We weren't that far. We were. Uh, you watched the thirty for thirty on Miami when they had. Uh, the five national titles, and they throw the flag and change the scoreboard. You were a uh, pass interference flag away from uh, yep. from yep. being correct. Um, <laughs> and, and again, I still think Missouri heads into the, the season with momentum. You know, I thought it was encouraging that they sold out their ticket allotment for uh, for the Liberty Bowl. They open the South End Zone. They have Kelly Bryant and a pretty good recruiting class by their standards. A lot of returning starters. You know, I I think they can make it interesting in 2019. I, I do. Yeah, I agree. I don't have the schedule in front of me. You tell me who their uh, what's their non-conference uh, slate. How does that unfold? Wyoming, SEMO, West Virginia, and oh, who am I missing? Uh, Wyoming, SEMO, West Virginia, and 
West Troy. Troy with a new coach now, right? Um, Dana Holgerson going to Houston. Troy could also. And, Brown's and a Troy, hot yeah. Yes, yes. I, I imagine, in fact, he, he would be looked at at West Virginia with Holgerson gone, and I think you want to play Troy with a new coach, <laughs> um, frankly. Uh, so, yeah, totally manageable. Where is the West Virginia game in Columbia or Morgantown? It is in Columbia. Okay, I like that. So, yeah, look at the uh, dress for success on the non-conference schedule. I, I like that. So we'll, um, uh, yeah, look, the, the, the bowl outcome doesn't change. If they, if Missouri had won the game and gotten a nine wins, we, we'd be talking about all the off-season momentum and the springboard into into 2019. But a loss doesn't hurt. It doesn't affect that. It just doesn't. Um, I've been around too long to see where a, a bowl loss really hurts a team going into the off season. So, um, no, uh, the, the the 2019 narrative will, will will be written without any regard to what happened in in Memphis on on New Year's Eve. A quick question for you, since you're Mr. College Football. You know, Dana Holgerson leaving West Virginia for a non-power five school in Houston. Do you remember the last time you saw something like that? I was I'd have to, to think back to when yeah. it's it's rare. It's very rare. Yeah, well, we, we've only had the the idea of the Power Five versus the Group of Five or whatever we're calling it for for a few years. So um, you would have had you would have had occasions uh, in, in you know in, in the eighties nineties where uh, a coach would leave a, a program that we now classify as Power Five to something that's not Power Five, but. Um, but no, this this doesn't this doesn't happen uh, doesn't happen. But the the circumstances are perfect for this. Um, Holgerson rides uh, uh, you know a, a Will Greer out of Morganton. He goes to a Houston team that has a lot of ambition, a lot of financial resources, and has a huge benefactor and uh, you know a guy who who who's really make, pulling all the strings and making this making this happen. Um, uh, and they're, they're paying Dana a ton of money. He's going back to a school where he's coached before. And I, I think that, uh, I think it's actually a pretty good move for, for Dana Holgerson. It also helps Houston and its bid to want to become a power five program, likely in the big 12. If there is a, if there is a place for, for the Cougars in, in the power five world. So, uh, I, I think it's, I, you know, I don't blame Holgerson for doing this. I, I don't think he's any farther away from a national championship at Houston than he was at West Virginia. It's an interesting point. I'm curious if if he can get, you know, Houston's got some other administrative stuff going on, but I'm curious if he can really give them a good show if, if, you know, we see expansion again down the road, if if Houston gets invited to like the Big 12, because obviously that's a market they'd, you know, they're kind of by with Baylor, you know, even though Waco's kind of in between Houston and Dallas, but, um, it'd be, it, as you said, it, it makes a lot of sense down the road and, and long-term with, uh, with the way the college football landscape's going. Well, let me just say this. The difference between Houston and like a Missouri or West Virginia right now is Missouri or West Virginia can have one regular season loss. And because of the conference that they're in, you know, win their conference championship game and be in the college football playoff. Houston could not do that. If Houston lost a regular season game, uh, and we, we see with Central Florida last year going undefeated, uh, would not be in a you know in the college football playoff. It just it, it would take a, a, a remarkable set of circumstances for that you know for a one loss team from the American or the Mountain West or any of the 
programs that aren't in the Power Five to be in the college football playoffs. So that's the difference. You just you have to run the table, and you may have to get, and even that doesn't guarantee you're in the college football playoff. Uh, so that's the, you know, that's the risk you run. You, you not only have to run the table, you better have beaten somebody in the in the non-conference that was pretty good. You know, hopefully you beat a Power Five team that's a bowl-worthy type team to even get the, you know, to, to get the uh, enough of the attention of the committee to to get to the college football playoff. I, I agree. Let's talk some basketball. Missouri beat Moorhead State on Saturday, the 29th, before the bowl festivities really kicked in. A uh, game that was a blowout at the end, but was a little too interesting in the second half. Uh, Vahe checked in on that. He had a story about it. You know, Missouri finishes the non-conference plate 9-3. and three. Not really a bad loss on the schedule when you look at K-State, um, Temple, and Iowa State. You know, I, I checked for, uh, Joe Lenardi this morning. I know you're a Jerry Palm guy, but Iowa State and, uh, and UCF are uh, – not UCF. Iowa State and Kansas State are firmly in the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, UCF is a team that that looks to be in. That's one of Missouri's best wins. Illinois lost to Florida Atlantic, which not not a good look for Brad Underwood. But you know, I, I think when Jonte Porter went down, if you were to say Missouri's going to finish the non-conference fight nine and three, everyone would no one would be complaining. And I think they are playing like a team right now that if they win the games, they should. You know, we it's too early for the tournament talk, but, you know, I, I think the NIT is definitely feasible for this team. No, I, no, the postseason is absolutely uh, on the table for Missouri. And I don't think I would have said that coming out of, uh, you know, coming out of the tournament. And then I, they, they went back-to-back losses, right, K-State and then Temple before uh, before the the, the, the the calendar flipped and they got into December and, uh, and you know with that you know who maybe we'll look back on that the UCF win as the real turning point for for this program. It certainly got the month off to a great start and uh, and and they've been and they've been perfect since since then. So nothing but good vibes right now for the basketball team. Uh, still some things to iron out and um, but but the schedule um, you know is is kind of interesting for them early on. They get the, the SEC's best team coming in there to open conference play. With um, with the balls coming in on uh, you know was it was it next week? So it's not the, even this weekend. They're off Saturday. Yeah, so it's odd that they don't odd that they don't play this weekend. But um, but yeah, after Tennessee though, I see some opportunity to to collect some W's and get off to a good start in in league play. And um, and they keep the momentum going right now. Um, it's a confident team and should be a confident team. They're shooting the ball well. They're you know, uh, Tillman's playing well. I, I just I like what I see. Uh, it's it's not a. It, I don't think it's an NCAA tournament team. Certainly doesn't have the resume right now. But uh, but uh, it's it is certainly moving in that direction and moving in the at least moving in the right direction. So I'm. Um, uh, I, I think Missouri's a team that if if you were talking to some national funds right now, they would say keep an eye, keep an eye on the Tigers and um, let, let, let's see where they go from here. It's, uh, so far, Conzo Martin's done a really nice job with his team. I agree. You know, I, I was looking up some Tennessee stats as I was on the SEC teleconference right before I called you. Tennessee is so freaking good. I mean, Rick Barnes, you know, I, I think that I I don't want to – I like Shaka Smart, but, you know, I, I think that given what Rick Barnes has done at Tennessee, I, I don't know if, if you're Texas right now, if you're happy with the decision to move on from him – 
Um, he had a couple of down years, but, you know, clearly he can still coach. They were picked in the cellar last year, and, and they won and won the league. They were a Clayton Custer shooter's bounce away from a, a trip to the Elite Eight. And I, I think Admiral Schofield's phenomenal. You know, I was looking up Grant Williams' yep. numbers. I mean, he was averaging 15, 6, and roughly 4 or 5 assists a game last year. All those numbers are up. Uh, he's now averaging 28 and about 5 or 6 dimes. I mean, they're and they're a fun team to watch. You watch the way they played against Gonzaga. I think they could legitimately cut down some nets this year. And I, I, uh, I'm more of a veteran guy. Where you know, Kentucky always has the freshmen. They they reinvent the wheel every year. But Tennessee's not just good and has multiple guys that can kill you. They're all upperclassmen. So I, I think they're more of an old school team that bodes well for them in this league where there's a lot of Kentucky guys and Florida has some five-star one-and-done potential guys. I, I think they're very dangerous. And my my bold thing was that if Missouri were to somehow win this game, they find a way to make the NCAA tournament. That that A win like that would go a long way for them. I wouldn't even be surprised if they got AP votes after a win like that. Oh, um, no, they would. There's no, no doubt that they would. If they beat Tennessee – um, everything, every, the narrative changes. It, it's, it just does. If they're good enough to beat, I don't care if wherever it is, but if they beat them in Columbia, that's um, you, you look at Missouri differently. You look at them as a, um, you know, now they're uh, now they're knocking on the door of the NCAA tournament, and uh, and and now they've got the resume win that is you know is, is as good a it's as good a win as they'll have this year, right? I mean they're. Do they, do they play at Tennessee later in the year? I mean, that's, they do. Yeah, they They're do. at Tennessee they in early February. So this is, you know, and I know they're at Auburn too, but, if, you know, when you when you look at the SEC, you know, what's left on the schedule, and they don't play in the Big 12 SEC Challenge this year, so it's only SEC games left. You look at the schedule, there are, you know, just a handful of great opportunities. And Mississippi State's off to a good start, and, you know, they, they've got the national ranking, and Kentucky's Kentucky, but – there's just a handful of games to boost your resume, and Tennessee at home is one of them. This this is a this is a good opportunity. You know, I I don't and I don't know if there's a better time for Missouri to be playing Tennessee than right now, based on you know they'll have had a nice long layoff, they'll rest it up, they're coming off of uh, you know a, a good month. That's that's a you know it's a good spot for Missouri to be, and I, I think we look at Missouri differently if they find a way to. To beat Tennessee um, uh, on net, like you said, next next Tuesday. So I'm uh, all eyes will be on that one. I know if Vahe's not there, I'm definitely going to be there for that one. Nice. I look forward to your company. Uh, uh, if Missouri doesn't beat Tennessee, I think the goal is to go one and one next week and win the second half of the week at South Carolina. Real quick, since we, you know, I was thinking about this over the course of the call. There's there's no Chiefs games to make predictions for. There's no Mizzou games to make predictions for. Here's, uh, here's what we'll do to end on a fun note. I think it's a good game for Missouri if they're, in a posi- if they're within single digits of Tennessee with eight minutes left in the game. I think if they were to lose that, that's still an encouraging, uh, that's still an encouraging sign for the team and Conzo Martin to, to hang with a top three team like that and be in a position to make a run at it late. Uh, what, what say you? I, you know, I, I don't know if to call it a moral victory thing, but just a, you know, a, a positive sign or something Missouri should aim for in its game against Tennessee. 
Well, um, it's a good question. I would say uh, for for people who follow Missouri closely, like you do, um, it's fair to look at, at at that type of you know effort and signs, and just you know look for a team that'll uh, that'll battle, that'll uh, play hard through the you know through, through the entire second half. I, I would I would submit that Tennessee would be about a six to eight point favorite in that game, maybe even more. I, I don't know, but you know, just just play them hard, play them. Don't get blown out at home. But when it comes to you know what what the committee will look at, all they'll see is a score or just a W or an L. And a one point win for Tennessee is just as significant to them as a fifteen point win for Tennessee in that in that moment. So. Um, it, it'll be a great opportunity, the best opportunity so far this year for Missouri to measure itself. Um, you know, it's not the early season. Let's get, you know, let's let's adjust to life without uh, Jante Porter, which I think affected them in the Iowa State game and in the, you know, against Kansas State, maybe Temple. They they seem to have found the identity since then, but um, uh, but now, you know, I think we've. We've settled on the idea that this has a chance to be a good team with a with a nice record with postseason play on the table for them. Um, get after Tennessee, get after it, and and push it, and play to their play to their strengths, and and hope Tennessee's a little bit off that day. They'll need the home crowd. They'll need a, a good atmosphere there for for it to be the the the, the most effective uh, you know atmosphere that uh, that you can that that that, that can be provided. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this game. It's one of, it's one of the, it's the most attractive game on Missouri's schedule this year. And I don't know if the students will be back. I, I kind of doubt it given the date, but, um, uh, they, they'll need to have a good, ha- a good crowd for that one. Agreed. One last thing before we get out of here, Sierra Porter returning to the women's basketball team. There, there will be a Porter playing for Missouri basketball this year. Uh, she medically retired in June because of knee issues. She was feeling good enough to give it another go, and I, I'm a little bullish on her return. You know, I think it's it's great for Missouri. I think it's great for morale and for the fan base. Um, I, I think that if you're Robin Pynchon, you're doing everything you can to go out with Sophie Cunningham making it to the Sweet 16 and and pushing the program forward. I, I just think that. It's, you know, for the people that are saying that this solves all the problems and everything, you know, I, I, I think it's tough to add a player back midseason that has had injury issues before. And, and I think that just those expecting her to set the world on fire are, are a little unrealistic. And if she can give this team 10 and 5, 10 and 6, she averaged 10 and 8 for her career. But, you know, kind of be a little, uh, you know, understanding of the situation. I, I think that's good for them. I'm just curious for your quick thoughts on that. Oh yeah! Look, anytime you get when you get a player back like this, um, as you said, a, a ten and six type, ten to seven type player, um, there, there'll, there'll be a little bit of adjustment period for sure. But you, this is a bonus. Uh, you're, you're, you get a bonus now. Um, nothing but no, nothing but positive news for for Robin Pinkston's team. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for the Porter family who've had so much to deal with in terms of injuries and um, uh, this. No, no. There, there's no way. There, to me, there's no other way to interpret this, but uh, but but good news for for the Tigers. And uh, I guess it's been she's been in. Is it just is the one game so far? And um, yeah, four points, two rebounds in eleven minutes. Yeah, they're going to have to ease her in and uh, and get her into game shape. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I can see by the middle of the conference season her, you know, being what she was when it, you know in her first few years at Missouri. 
Awesome. He's Blair Kirkhoff. I'm Alex Schiffer. We'll be back next week in some capacity, and, and hopefully I'll see you at the Tennessee game. I I wouldn't complain if I got Bahe or Sam, but uh, but it'd be great to uh, be great to see you. All right, Alex. Take care.